0: Hello, and welcome to Grave Escapes, the podcast that helps those who've died tell their stories once again. Hey, Francis. Hey. I wanted to ask you a question before we get started tonight okay do you feel that you are leading a life of quiet desperation (laughs) (laughs) um maybe I think we all are to some extent right I feel like that's true but so being in New England the weather is getting warmer it's possibly almost too warm but (sighs) uh this means that we have gone on a lot of cemetery adventures right oh yeah it's been great I want to set the scene for you all. Uh, We went to go visit today's uh, topics recently. I got there a little bit before Francis because I had gone up early to try to get to a specific monument that was closed. More about that in a moment. And Francis pulls up in her car, gets out in like a full length skirt with multiple layers, solid black. And I was just like... I should start a timer for how long before she says it's way too hot. But you got through <laughs> like 45 minutes before you were like, no, this is horrible.
1: <laughs> that is so, yes, 100% true. That skirt has something like
0: 27 yards of fabric to it. It was, yeah. it was awesome. Like you pulled it off, but I was just like, I'm sitting there in like leggings and I'm like, I'm warm. Oh, I was super jealous. But so <laughs> that brings us to our topic tonight. So we are setting tonight's Tonight's episode, I want to say based on geography. Yeah. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. So we spent most of our time recently at Authors Ridge, which is in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, which is in Concord, Massachusetts, not Sleepy Hollow, New York. Please, please make sure you understand that. Which is a place that I would love to move to. Yeah, let's do it. So in, in, in Authors Ridge, there are... Authors. I, I know that make that's a duh, but these are all people who knew each other, lived together, and lived really close to each other in Concord, Massachusetts in the 1800s. So buried in Authors Ridge, you have Nathaniel Hawthorne. Hey. You have Louisa May Alcott. Yeah. You have Henry David Thoreau. And you have Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> And so with that, we decided to actually cover tonight Emerson and Thoreau because... They were buds. They were buds. Sometimes. Maybe. So uh, (laughs) you've taken on the task of talking about Emerson. I did. Which is more power to you. (laughs) And I have taken on the role of talking about Thoreau. Kudos to you. I've also been trying to read Walden oh, to nice. prepare for this podcast, and I will just absolutely tell you all that I am halfway through and I am struggling. If you have tips, please send them, because right now it's audiobook and video game, and most of the time I find myself going, what the fuck, Henry, really? My tip is don't. <laughs> no, I have to do it. I like. I need the pretentiousness of saying, well, I read Walden.
1: <laughs> we're but we're so, New Englanders, so...
0: Yeah, but so with that, I actually want to like. I want to change things up a bit. If you're cool with it, sure. So I think we should actually go based on who died first, because I think this is going to surprise you. Okay. So, Francis, what year did Emerson die? 1882. Okay. Thoreau died in 18. 18- Sixty-two. What? Yeah. So we've got some stuff to talk about there. But would you like to start us off with Mr. Waldo Emerson? I would love to start us off with Mr. Waldo Emerson. So wait. Oh my God, I didn't realize this, and he's about to roll over in his grave. But I'm fine with it. Fuck him. Um, (laughs) did we find Waldo? We found Waldo. (laughs) Cool. All right, I got that out of my system. We only found Waldo after
1: he already graduated from college. I will Fair circle enough. back.
0: <laughs> all right, so I actually don't know much about Emerson other than the fact I think he's a prick. Um, but I'm excited
1: to see if that's true or not. Um, I have come to the conclusion that they both are.
0: Yeah, I'm good with that. But let's oh. let's hear it. Tell me all about Mr. Emerson. All right. So,
1: there's a couple of ways that I could have done this and I did it a third way. So, I could have given you a chronological biography. I could have you done like a like a thought biography and how he developed his theories, but I kind of did a combo plate. Let's start with three facts that I didn't know before I started my research, okay? The first fact, Emerson was an extensive diarist. Like, ridiculously extensive. He kept journals from sophomore year of college right through to almost the end of his life. Thousands of pages of journals. Tens of thousands of pages. Extensive. So, Fact number one. Fact number two, Emerson was queer, which we know because of fact number one. Oh, what? Uh Uh-huh. And fact number three, Emerson was obsessed with the idea of ideas. Obsessed with thought, imagination, mythology, creation, writing, literally anything that, like, the human brain creates. He was obsessed with it.
0: So I'm not hating him at this moment. I'm actually kind of into this.
1: Yeah, not terrible. I figure I I should probably have realized that last one, given that he is a founding transcendentalist. But somehow I did not get that. All right. So we'll start at the beginning a little bit. He was born Ralph Waldo Emerson. He's the second of five surviving sons. May 25th, 1803. So Thomas Jefferson is president. He could read before his third birthday. So tiny genius boy. And he was super goofy growing up, told terrible jokes, played pranks, you know, goofy middle child. Uh, his family was poor, even though his dad was a minister and also edited religious texts on the side. They were still not particularly wealthy. And then his father died when he was eight. So wave goodbye to the main breadwinner. Um, his mother started taking in boarders after that. And a couple of his aunts moved in.
0: Do you mean Borders as in, like, Borders or Borders as in, like, Whorehouse? Borders as in, like, like she was a landlady. Okay, I was excited for the other one, but that's okay.
1: Nah, she was, I mean, so she was living in the house with her five sons and two, like, one sister and one sister-in-law. Yeah, that's not really a great place to party, I get it. No. (laughs) So, um, she took in, like, actual lodgers. He was tutored by his aunts. In particular, his father's sister, Mary Moody Emerson, who's buried really close to him uh, at Sleepy Hollow. By Emerson's own description, Mary was a genius, and he actually took her collected unpublished writings, essays, letters, what have you, and he condensed them into four hand-copied volumes that he kept with him for his entire life and would read and reread regularly. Hmm. So he's very impressed with his his father's sister. At nine years old, he actually gets into the Boston Latin School, which is still there. It's the oldest school in the United States. It was founded in 1635. It's extremely difficult to get into. So he goes there from nine until 14 when he gets into Harvard. Not quite as young as Cotton Mather, and that actually wasn't an unusual age to go to Harvard. It was a little bit early, but not huge um, at the time. Let's talk about Harvard. It was here that he starts journaling. He would keep essays. He'd keep a commonplace book where he'd keep quotes and stuff, all sorts of things. Three, three journals going at once. It was also here that he first encounters modern philosophy and modern critical works on history and religion. It's the religious piece that sort of complicated his devotion. So at this point, he wants to be a minister. But he's starting to question ministry as an office. It's also here where Emerson falls in love with two different people. Okay. A woman whose name we don't know and a man named Martin
0: Gay. Oh, that's an unfortunate last name.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) He actually writes that he prays that both will become part of him forever. Uh, Doesn't happen. I don't know about the woman, but the uh, Martin eventually just fades away. But something that might be surprising to listeners, he's completely unembarrassed about his feelings for gay. He didn't feel the need to put writing about their relationship in cipher. He The only thing he actually coded was his discussion of the passionate glances that they exchanged. He wrote in Latin, uh, which was apparently a common thing for harvard boys to do so that the younger boys wouldn't be able to read it if they stumbled across the journals only the upper upper years so it was like an (laughs) it was like a pg-13 rating instead of g um in his journal so yeah midway through harvard he catches feelings not for a person but for the working of the human mind
0: Okay, like I feel really bad. I just have to say this, because like I've always had bad feelings towards Emerson Thoreau because of college. Fair. I kinda get it now. I'm also seeing some of myself in Emerson right now, and I'm feeling kind of scared.
1: Nah, I like it. I seem I'm I'm okay with Emerson as a as a person, but his writing because is a concept? awful
0: to slog through. Okay. I mean, but transcendentalists. Yeah, oh, all of them. <laughs> ok, so he's in love with the minds
1: and also the natural world. So he has these two obsessions which will carry him through the rest of his life thoughts, ideas, imagination, folklore, anything that comes from the mind predominantly, and then nature. It's also right at the as he's graduating at the end of his his Harvard tenure that he decides he's going to drop Ralph as a name and start going by Waldo.
0: So I feel like I actually have to interject here, like kind of what we did with like um Dow and Jones. Yeah. So Emerson goes to Har or Emerson goes to Harvard, The Row goes to Harvard. Oh, I know. <laughs> so when is Emerson there?
1: Emerson, uh, so he starts at 14 and he's there for four years. So he's there till he's 18, which would be 1821-ish. Yeah, they're 14 years apart.
0: Yeah, so um, Emerson starts then. Thoreau starts eighteen thirty three, and he graduates eighteen
1: thirty seven. He does. Pin so stick a pin in his graduation. I will come back to that.
0: Okay, looking forward to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're not contemporaries at all. I thought they were the same age going into Mm-mm. this or close to it. I didn't realize they were there was such an age gap. Okay, so he graduates from he graduates from Harvard. And he starts teaching at his brother's school in Boston. His brother has a a girl's school out of their house. Of course
0: he does, like you do.
1: Uh, He hates it, and he's also kind of bad at it. And so he's kind of bopping around doing whatever for a while, and he starts to feel ill. And there is a severe family history of tuberculosis. So he decides to go south. Um, He travels down through Charleston, ultimately ends up in Florida, hangs out with Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew as one does who he like has a very passionate friendship with for a little while. And then like pieces out eventually comes back North again after like a year or two uh, ends up in New Hampshire. Couldn't didn't really find out why he ends up in New Hampshire, but he's in New Hampshire and he meets a woman named Ellen Louise Tucker and falls madly in love with her. Okay. Deeply passionately in love with this, this girl. She's 16. He's 24. Oh, okay. He waits and they get married when she turns 18. Okay. So she's 18, he is 26. They're happily in love. They're planning a family. They're so excited to be married. Her mom and her sister both like him. She's planning on being a poet. She's writing poetry. And then she gets TV. Her mom the his mother actually moves in with them and t- and helps to take care of her. She's dead by 20. Oh fuck! He is devastated by this. Absolutely wrecked. Uh, falls into a deep depression. Starts questioning religion as a general concept, along with the fact that he'd already been questioning ministry as a as a thing that people can do. He'd right before, so just after they got married, or just before they got married, he actually becomes a minister. He gets appointed to a ministry in Boston. He basically is like, this is the stupidest thing. Why am I doing this? He spends a year in Boston being a minister, walking every single day from Boston to Roxbury to her grave to visit her. Wow. Over the course of this period, he becomes obsessed with the idea that she's not dead because he hasn't seen her body. What? Yup. He, I don't know if he was convinced that she wasn't inside the grave Or that she was maybe alive in the grave, I'm not really sure. But about a year and change after she passes, he opens the coffin. What? To make sure that she's dead. What? Yup. And he writes about it, it's a casual throwaway line in his journal. It, literally, it said something like, went to visit Ellen, opened the coffin. What? Yup. Was that not, like,
0: illegal? Probably. Probably.
1: But he, I, I guess he shut it again and left. Because that's around the time he stops visiting her daily. And I guess seeing her decaying corpse let him um, come to terms with the fact that she was dead. And he actually resigns from his ministry and goes to Europe. Okay. Abruptly. With, like, no... Everyone is, like, kind of like, wait, why? What? (laughs) Okay. So he goes to Europe. He's bopping around Europe trying to figure out... He wants to find a teacher. Because, so, the whole structure of his life is is changed. It's different. He wanted to be a minister. He wanted to be Ellen's husband. He, they were going to raise a family. None of that is now true. He is not a minister. His wife is dead. He has no children. He has nothing except a small inheritance from her that allows him to travel without worrying about finances. So he's looking for something in Europe. He bops around. He's in Germany. He's in Italy. He's in Paris where he once again becomes obsessed with the natural world while he's visiting a, a garden. And then he goes to England, and he meets Coleridge and Wordsworth. Okay. Who are growing old. They're, they're in the, their later years. And apparently realizes that this, the old guard of romanticism are are fading. And so, like, the future of poetry is left to him, and his peers okay, to usher in a new age of whatever, something.
0: Had he ever, like, I don't know, written poetry before?
1: Yeah, sort of. He dabbled in poetry. He was kind of obsessed with the idea that the poet was a prophet, like, a speaker of truth with a capital T.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But,
1: like, hadn't published any poetry and wasn't particularly known for, like, sending it to people, as far as I know. But... He also meets a guy named Thomas Carlyle, who is a Scottish intellectual and became a close friend of his. Emerson writes in his journal that he has loved Carlyle since the moment they met.
0: All right, so he's like really bisexual and I love it.
1: And also Carlyle's wife Jane. Oh, okay. So, uh whether he was in love with them is anyone's guess, but uh that was a thing. Um, And he looked at Carlisle as as a peer, a friend, but also kind of a mentor, because this guy was already a public intellectual, had done speaking tours, had published, etc. Whereas Emerson had yet to do any of those things. He meets Carlisle. He spends some time. Apparently, they spent 24 hours together. Like, they met and then spent 24 hours together continuously. Okay. That's sort of the height of his trip. He finally comes back to the United States and starts sort of... Being the person we recognize as Emerson, right? He starts giving lectures, public lectures, uh, speaking at, at events. He starts writing. Uh, the first thing that he published was a track called Nature, which I attempted to slog my way through. And it made me want to stab myself in the eye. Great. It was horrendously difficult and read more like a a school assignment than like an actual thing someone had written (laughs) did not enjoy so he comes back he, he publishes this a treatise on the natural world and why we should all like pay attention to nature instead of reading books or something unclear but he has a little bit of money he doesn't have any ties his wife's family is now all dead her mother and her sister have both passed away by this point um and his family is financially afloat. So he doesn't have any like obligations. So he begins public speaking. He also meets a collection of other intellectuals, including George Ripley. And they start something called the Transcendental Club.
0: And everything goes downhill.
1: And it's all downhill from there. All Well, it's all eh. they accept the, at least the club accepts women within like the first year after okay. its founding, which is kind of cool. And you remember that pin we stuck in uh, Henry David Thoreau's graduation from college? Yeah. I'm pulling that pin right now. Around this time, in, in 1837, uh, Thore- uh, Emerson gives a speech at Harvard known as the American Scholar. I had to read it in school. This graduation was Thoreau's graduation. Oh, my God. He was Thoreau's graduation speaker. Emerson is 34.
0: Thoreau is 20. So I will throw in this. Yeah. Thoreau actually begins to keep his first journal in 1837. And you want to know why that is? (laughs) Emerson apparently asked him once,
1: do you keep a journal?
0: Yeah, no, he he actually, the first (laughs) journal entry of of Thoreau is October 22nd, 1837. What are you doing now? He asked, do you keep a journal? So I make my first entry today. Yup. By all inte- uh, by all accounts that
1: I've enc- that I've come across, uh, Thoreau was a little bit in love with Emerson, and a lot in love with Emerson's wife. Yikes! Fair enough. <laughs> Sometime in the in that year, I'm not sure when. Thore- so, in this in this period during this period, Emerson also meets and marries his second wife, Lydian.
0: Okay,
1: who is very frustrated with the marriage. She is a devout Christian. Progressive, but devout, and her husband's lack of religious belief is very worrying to her. I thought, like, they would have maybe talked about that before getting married. Uh, you'd think. But, like, whatevskies. <laughs> so she is, she's very unhappy in the marriage, and I guess he is not emotionally available to her <laughs> in a way that no she's shit. <laughs> upset by. So she's a bit unhappy, and then Thoreau moves in. So yeah, let's
0: talk about that. <laughs> yup eighteen forty one Thoreau moves into the Emerson household and is there until eighteen forty four yep uh he like I don't even know how to explain his job he he was the children's tutor, but he also <laughs> like helped Emerson with editorial shit. he was a repairman he was a gardener he was lydian's b f f yeah, so <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> I will tell you all that we'll, we'll leave it there. But you can actually see like where the overlap starts to happen because I can talk more about what Thoreau does during this time in just a minute. But so it's 1844. Emerson's moving out, or um Thoreau is moving out. What what's what's next? So Emerson, um
1: through through this period, so the Transcendentalists founded the Dial, their like journal thing right. in 1840. And Emerson took over as editor in 1842, so that was probably some mm-hmm. of the thing that that Thoreau was helping with editing the journal. He's also giving lectures. He's he's like going around the country giving lectures and addresses. He's pissing off Harvard by basically being an atheist. Uh, they, the divinity school invited him to speak, and he was like, "The Bible is stupid. Miracles don't happen. Um, God is dead." <laughs>
0: So basically what that comes from, though, is him digging
1: up his dead wife's corpse. Yeah, kind of. Yes, exactly. Um, He didn't say God was dead. He was a deist, not an atheist. But uh, yeah, he pissed off Harvard and Harvard was like, yeah, never come back for 35 years. Um,
0: Cool. So
1: yeah, so he's like, he's basically at this point, he's becoming connected to every writer who exists in America. He's the reason Leaves of Grass became a success. Walt Whitman. Yes, uh, he he wrote slash edited a biography that was maybe a memoir, but mostly made up of Margaret Fuller. Okay. Uh, at this period, he's also an outspoken abolitionist. I was mostly interested in his formation as like an intellectual rather than the rest of his life. But basically, he spends the rest of his life traveling around the country and sometimes Europe giving lectures writing and talking to people so i'm gonna skip a little bit
0: so his credentials like correct me if i'm wrong but his credentials were basically i am a man who enjoys nature
1: yeah kind of cool his basically his whole like intellectual spiel is pretty much just to understand uh, to to be an authentic writer we have to experience things firsthand so, like, go hang out with nature, because nature is the most important thing. But then, like, you can do whatever. But as long as you're experiencing it firsthand, it's okay.
0: But then when do you write? I don't know. Okay.
1: And also, like, Hugh was an avid reader. So I'm not really <laughs> sure the whole, like, books are inauthentic unless they're written from 1st hand experience
0: thing. He's also very
1: affluent, right? Uh he made himself affluent. He was poor growing up. But like
0: he did that through talking.
1: Uh no, well, he did it through marrying Ellen, who who's um the the family so because everybody else in the family died too, I guess he Yes, he inherited it was like twelve hundred dollars a year. Oh, geez, uh, okay. Which was the money he was making as a pastor before he quit, (laughs) paying out from the inheritance. So he was like well, he didn't have to do anything, pretty much, and was fine. All right. So he just hung out in the woods and talked about things. Yeah,
0: he's annoying. Um,
1: When you're done with yours, I'll circle back to how he died.
0: Okay, you ready me to jump in on Thoreau? Let's talk about Thoreau. So I will tell you all, there is a fascinating piece about how to pronounce Thoreau's name on his <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> I was looking at that. <laughs> Please just go enjoy it when you get a chance. I will be pronouncing it Thoreau. Enjoy. <laughs> so I also do want to quote Ellery Channing, because this is one of the first times I felt like I could actually find documentation of someone being described like physically. Oh, nice. So this is Thoreau as an adult. His face, once seen, could not be forgotten. The features were quite quite marked. The nose, very aquiline or very Roman. Like one of the portraits of Caesar, more like a beak. Large overhanging brows, blah, blah, blah. The forehead was unusually broad. Very prominent lips. I'm ad-libbing a bit. They were pursed with meaning and thought when silent and giving out went open with the most varied and unusual instructive sayings. Uh, That doesn't sound attractive. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, Thoreau. So Thoreau was born in 1817. He -hmm. is born in Concord, Massachusetts. I'm just going to give you all a very brief backstory about his youth. Ostensibly, his... uh, his family has made their money making pencils. <laughs> what? Yeah. I didn't expect that. I'm not really sure how to, how to say that. Uh, they've been cited as being a modest New England family of pencil makers. <laughs> yeah, they're pencil makers. His, his family it seems to always have been people who were getting into protests and were activists. Cool. And he was also not actually born Henry David. Oh no. He was born David Henry Thoreau. What? He was named after his uncle David Thoreau who had just died. After he fit- he actually went by David Henry throughout college, like so while he's at Harvard, but then like as he graduates, he does start going by Henry David. Oh, you mean
1: like Emerson changed his name upon graduation?
0: Yeah, you noticed that too? (laughs) He had three siblings. Uh, He had Helen and John Jr., who were the older two siblings, and his younger sister was Sophia. I gotta go through this because this is important. Uh, Helen, the oldest sister, dies uh, at age 37 of tuberculosis. His brother John... Dies in 1942 at the age of 26. He gets tetanus after cutting himself shaving. Oh, God. I'm going to go ahead and make this worse for everyone. He dies in Henry's arms. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, And his younger sister does outlive everyone, but does die at 56 of tuberculosis. Like three
1: of of Everson's brothers died of tuberculosis as well everyone's dying
0: of tuberculosis yes let's all right so i also want to just give an example of this person that we're working with i can't verify this this is something that someone put on the thoreau wiki page and i just hope it's true so that's why i'm sharing it (laughs) i'm gonna keep trying to find a source for it um but the only only thing cited is a book from 1945 that i have not been able to get my hands on it is rumored that you had to pay to get your diploma from Harvard. Oh. Okay. Like there was a fee. It was a uh, five dollars. That's a lot. Yeah, and he was like, "No," and then he also declined to continue like with a master's degree because he was like, "They have no merit." <laughs> so you can see where where we're going here. He's like. I-
1: and continue on a master's degree I want to go hang out with my bro Emerson <laughs> I'm gonna go
0: keep a journal and live in the woods and live deliberately and some with my, shit with my boyfriend yeah Thoreau does actually propose to a woman okay she turns him down uh, basically her father was like eh, no kudos to her Yeah. when he graduates he decides to come back to Concord And he becomes a faculty member in the public school. He quits like three weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) But it's for a decent reason. They administered corporal punishment there. Ooh. And he was like, no. So he and his brother, John, open up the Concord Academy, which is like a progressive progressive school. Uh, Think like field trips and (laughs) time in nature. Of course. They opened this in 1838. Remember, he graduated in 1837. It is in 1842 where John dies from tetanus in Henry's arms. The Aww. school closes at this point. Aww. At this point as well, though, he is still hanging with Emerson. And you'll also see that he has moved in with Emerson at this point. He moved in with Emerson in 1841. The school closes in 1842. Ah. Uh he's tutoring he's helping emerson it seems like the brother just kind of is taking over the school so at this point he starts to hang out with a lot of authors and um philosophers specifically hanging out with emerson fuller and alcott i do want to say he's hanging out not with louisa may he's hanging out with bronson alcott that's her dad right her dad who is a writer and a transcendentalist in his in his own
1: can i throw in a fun fact that i learned about thoreau here Sure. Apparently he used to walk and talk like Emerson as much as he could to the point where other people thought it was
0: hilarious. Love that. that. he was imitating Emerson so much. Love that. (laughs) Thoreau is at Emerson's house. It's 1841 to 1844. He does piece out in 1843 to go to Staten Island to another Emerson's home. (laughs) He tutors them for a bit, hangs out in New York. And then he comes back to Concord because he decides to work in his pencil fact, his family's pencil factory. (laughs) Um, He actually like completely changes the process of making pencils. Okay. Um, Did he make it better? Yeah, he made it better, and they actually like coincidentally had a graphite source. Cool. And so they they did this. He didn't invent it. It's like more like he rediscovered it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So cool. He is like reinvented the fucking pencil. It's 1844, and it's like he just starts to get bored and depressed. As one does. Now, before we go into the Walden area, which is like why everyone's probably still listening to me talk about these guys, I do (laughs) want to just say a fun fact for everyone April 1844. Thoreau and his friend Edward Hoare set a fire on accident that consumes 300 acres of Walden Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that shouldn't be funny, but it kind of is. Let's let that sink in and let's talk about Walden. Wait a sec.
1: Uh, the,
0: what? Say the guy's name again, the friend. Edward Hoare,
1: H-O-A-R. So Emerson had a student named Elizabeth Hoare? I wonder if
0: they're related. <laughs> She's like, don't talk about my brother. Oh, my God. He lit the fire. (laughs) Anyway. So in 1845, Ellery Channing tells Thoreau, basically, hey, there's no hope for you. (laughs) Just go out and build a hut. (laughs) That's me translating it. That's great. The actual quote is: "Go out upon that and build yourself a hut, and there begin the grand process of devouring yourself alive." I see no other alternative, no hope for you.
1: That's no other hope for you. The best quote
0: I've heard recently. So, July fourth, eighteen forty-five, he decides to do this two-year experiment where he's going to move into a house that he builds in Walden Woods on the shores of Walden Pond. Guess who owns the land? Emerson! Emerson. (laughs) So I will say, as I've been reading Walden, it is very interesting to see how he has done this. I will also tell you, the book is like a year of his experience, but he was actually at Walden Pond for two years, two months, two days. That's a lot of twos. Yeah. He does, a year later, get arrested. Yeah. So this is where the whole, like protesting thing comes he has not been paying his poll taxes because he opposes slavery and the mexican-american war and he gets put in jail because they, they finally catch him
1: yeah emerson did not like that at all he was not on board with the whole don't pay taxes thing
0: yeah i honestly just don't think he had that money <laughs> i think this might have been where they started
1: to fall out because Emerson was very much like this is that that's poorly done
0: of you, yeah. So he someone pays it. He doesn't know who. It's probably Emerson. Uh, maybe. And then then he does go on to give a lecture about tax resistance. <laughs> um, Bronson Alcott actually does comment on this. It's in his journals. Cool. He basically. Does do some traveling at this point. He goes to the White Mountains in New Hampshire. He goes up to Maine. And he writes essays and kind of like short form uh, nonfiction about his experiences. But then in 1854, Walden or Life in the Woods is published. Okay. People still love this book. Mm. I'm working on it. There's some great quotes in it, but, like, he went off on a tangent about why he didn't have to be, like, a philanthropist. I'm like, dude, you won't pay your taxes, you won't give money to people, like, go eat a stick. He also used to go have dinner at Emerson's
1: house when he's like, I'm living off the land. It's like, no, dude, you're living off your bro. Yeah,
0: no, like, it was a very cushy living off the land. Yeah. Like, the original glamping. Yes, yes. Perfect. He does... He does travel and he makes a lecture. He goes up to Canada, develops a lecture called A Yankee in Canada. Mm Mm-hmm. Fast forward, fast forward. He keeps traveling, but it's all like kind of local. It's more like very close to New England type of thing. Cool. He began to praise John Brown and actually started ostensibly saying that he was a martyr. He gets loud in ways that maybe he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Or, honestly, I think the cause was there. I mean, obviously, none of us want slavery. We all should have been on the side of the abolitionists. But he seems, like, very combative, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. (sighs) All right. So, Thoreau, Thoreau, Thoreau. There are rumors that he also had queer leanings. There are also some who think he may have been asexual. Yeah. There are also a lot of inklings that it's very possible that he was gay. So his politics are pretty big. Like, he is an activist. He is very much like, fuck slavery, fuck fuck taxes. All of this is dumb. (laughs) Let's get back to the death. Yeah. He dies a lot earlier than Emerson. I did not know that. Do you want to guess why? Tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. Ugh. So he he had actually had it for some time. Oh. Which, I mean, he didn't die immediately. So, like, that's good, right? I guess... So he is living in a house in Concord. Um, it's 255 Main Street. And he had actually contracted tuberculosis in 1935. I, um, I'm pretty sure
1: I read something that said Thoreau and Emerson met for the first time in, 1935, in 1835. I wonder if he caught it from Emerson. <laughs> I actually think Emerson gave it to everyone. Emerson had, t- potentially had TB. Like, they're, like... When he was young, he had this, like, event where he was on a boat, and there was a ho- Like, he had, like, diarrhea for six months, was super sick, got on a boat, went through, like, the worst storm ever that made all of the... Everybody on the boat seasick, and then suddenly didn't have tuberculosis anymore and was fine for the rest of his
0: life. All right. No, I'm pretty sure he gave everyone tuberculosis. <laughs> right? But so... He... He dies... Basically... <sighs> It's not like it's fast. It's not like he never deals with TB after he gets it. He does have issues with it, including one time where he gets sick because he decided late at night to go out and, catch, and count the rings on tree stumps. <laughs> while of course he raining. did. <laughs> uh, so his health declines. He has some period of remission, but then he is bedridden and he realizes that it's terminal at this point. So he begins to continue to edit Walden. At this point, he's also published Civil Disobedience, which is his idea of why you shouldn't pay taxes, why slavery is terrible, and why you basically can't trust the man. Yeah. Uh, his last words. Ooh. Now comes good sailing. I like that. He then said moose, <laughs> and Indian, <laughs> and died. <laughs> And do you know who wrote the eulogy that spoke and spoke at the funeral? Oh, please tell me it was Emerson. It was Emerson. I love that. <laughs> so Emerson does his eulogy. Thoreau is buried. I do want to talk about his graves in a second, but how did Emerson die? Okay, so fast forward literally 20 years. Okay. Wow, okay.
1: Emerson- Is it tuberculosis? It is not tuberculosis. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he's the one who gave it to everybody. Nobody, he he wasn't going to die of it. <laughs> I really think he was a carrier. I'm not kidding. I swear to God you are correct. Like, wouldn't be surprised. So um, in the late 1870s, he has to stop lecturing because he's having such severe memory problems that he forgets his own name. Oh. So, uh, yeah, he's, he, he was lecturing and traveling right up until 1878, 79 whereupon he has to he had to stop visiting stop traveling stop lecturing and stop appearing in public at all um because his memory problems were so severe and by 1882 uh he doesn't know who he is and he catches pneumonia and dies on april 21st he's not young though he is not young no, he's, he's like, like in his 80s right he's like i think he's 79
0: yeah, that's a great that's yeah. a that's a well lived life. Yeah. So I young. do I do want to say so we saw both of their graves in authors ridge at sleepy hollow, right? Yeah. So Thoreau has the tiniest grave imaginable. <clears throat> no, I'm just saying, like it's very small. Um but he actually wasn't buried there initially. Oh. What? Yeah, um he was buried in the Dunbar family plot. I'm okay. not totally sure where that was. Trying to figure that out, but then his remains and his family were moved to Sleepy Hollow. Oh, okay. I I really like. There is a giant monument in the middle of the family plot for all of the Thoreaus, and then Mm -hmm. each of them have a tiny marker where they are buried. Yeah. So I say it's a very small stone, but I mean it it is in comparison to the monolith. Uh, Yeah. Emerson Stone, on the other hand, is
1: a giant rock. And I mean that literally. It is uh, unhewn. It's literally someone took a giant ragged boulder and plopped it in the middle of the cemetery and like screwed a plaque into it. Yeah. It's the weirdest, most ridiculous looking thing.
0: It is like, go big or go home. A hundred percent. He committed and he did it. Oh yeah. I'm sure that, I'm actually really positive that both of them would be happy with how they are buried.
1: That's fair. Yeah. Emerson would be like, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the only rock in this place. Everybody else yeah. has got
0: gravestones. And Thoreau would be like, How dare you not put me at Walden Pond?
1: <laughs> How dare you even put up a stone? Yeah. I want to be a tree.
0: I do want to say in his lifetime, Thoreau was criticized constantly for his work. Hmm. Um, it was very polarizing. You loved him or you hated him. And I would like for you all to go out and kind of make the decision to read his work on your own. Um, I am currently reading Walden's civil disobedience. It's both of his main works put into one about halfway through, like I said, but I wanted to end tonight's podcast reading his most famous quote, which is how we started this podcast. You good with that, Francis? Sounds good to me. (laughs) The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city you go into the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. There is no play in them, for this comes after work, but it is a characteristic of wisdom not to do desperate things nice and i will leave you all with one fun fact if you are trying to go to visit walden pond in the summer on a nice day they do close the pond ladies and gentlemen and if you've driven an hour to see it you are shit out of luck (laughs) but i'm pretty sure thoreau would have laughed so that's what matters
1: and we'll see you guys in the cemetery
0: Grave Escapes is hosted, written, and produced by Caitlin Owl and Frances Grace Ferland. It's produced and edited by Jesse D. Creighton. The music is Melancholy Aftersounds by Kai Engel. Follow us on social media to see images of today's graves and more about us. Our social handle is Grave Escapes. For a transcript, show notes, and land acknowledgement, visit us online at www.graveescapes.com we'll see you in the cemetery we'd like to acknowledge that we recorded
1: this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wampanoag, Pocnocet, and Narragansett peoples here in the northeast and all across the country native peoples are still here and thriving for more information about indigenous history we've added a link in the show notes to an indigenous peoples history of the united states as a place to begin For ways to support Native leaders and communities, we've added links to both the North American Indian Center of Boston and the Native Land Conservancy.